Welcome to the Untold Podcast, capturing the culture's imagination through speculative fiction. I'm your host, Nathan James Norman. Autumn is upon us. Leaves are changing, unless you live in a place where they don't. Then they turn brown and litter the ground. But fall is here, which means back to school, unless you go to school year-round. Then I guess you've been in school for a while. But there is one universal thing about autumn, no matter where you live. Pumpkin spice flavored everything has invaded your retail space. Pumpkin spiced lattes, pumpkin spiced cookies, pumpkin spiced water, pumpkin spiced garbage bags, pumpkin spiced cat litter. And this month, we have a pumpkin spiced episode of the Untold Podcast. This squashed flavored episode was written by Michelle Archer. Born in Los Angeles, California, M.L. Archer has lived in 14 states, two foreign lands, hitchhiked halfway across the country, climbed the El Capitan mountain range in New Mexico, and had a sword fight with a real witch. Archer is rarely bored. A professional violinist, Archer lives and works in South Florida. She is the proud mother of two sons, Matt and Tim. She is the author of Danny Doc Dilly and the Dangerous Duck, as well as The Calling of Mike Malone. You can find M.L. Archer online at mlarcherstories.com and on her Facebook profile, which we've included in the show notes. Original music is performed again by our resident composer, Carrie Kelso, who braved massive kidney stones to bring us this month's music. For those of you who've never suffered such anguish, just imagine stepping barefooted on a Lego block about 187 times. Thanks for pushing through the pain, Carrie. So now, without further ado, The Untold Podcast presents our autumn episode, School of the Exorcists, by M. L. Archer. Billy Fontenot's heart leapt as he climbed out of the cab. He stood on the circular driveway of the huge Victorian-style home, complete with gingerbread trim and gables that pointed to the crystal blue sky. Kid, barked the cabbie as he hauled Billy's bags out of the trunk. Your stuff. Uh, yeah, okay, Billy stammered. He moved his bags onto the sidewalk and tugged his wallet. Nah, the cabbie said. It's been taken care of. Someone must want you to go to school here pretty bad. The man read the sign above the entryway. School of the Exorcists. Kid, they either love you or they want to kill you. Good luck. Billy gulped as the cab pulled away. He looked around. The big house was planted on top of a grassy hill surrounded by forests. He leaned over, grabbed his bags, and headed up the steps. Inside, a man sat behind the reception desk. His black hair was thinned, almost to his skull. But he smiled, and his eyes were alert and friendly. Ah, you must be Mr. Fontenot, at last. The man rose and extended a hand. Welcome to Wisconsin. 
I'm Mr. Pritchard. This is a small school, so I serve as chief administrator and whatever else needs to be done. Uh, hi, Mr. Pritchard. Glad to meet you. The pleasure is mine. I've heard of your family, off and on for years. I think your coming here was a very wise choice. Uh, I hope so, Billy muttered. Well, just leave your things and I will get them upstairs because the rest of the students are already in the dining room. It's lunchtime in the rest of America, but in Wisconsin, we call it dinner. Um, sure. Billy walked into the dining room and felt nervous, but better. Four round tables were set for lunch. Two of them had settings for eight, one for five. The table for five had a place that was still empty. On one side of the empty spot sat a guy dressed completely in black with safety pins for earrings, and on the other side, a little girl with white blonde hair and big black glasses. He could see a tiny card in front of the empty plate with his name on it. There was a fourth table at the front of the room where a few adults were sitting. A small buffet was set up by the back, dark wood wall. Hi, a girl from his table walked over to him. I'm Melinda. Mrs. Wittersham said to just catch you up when you got here. The food's pretty good. Grab yourself a plate. Um, sure. Melinda had long, thick brown hair and large brown eyes. He thought she might even be Cajun like himself. Well, show me what's good, he said, smiling. Where are you from? South Dakota, she said, and rolling her eyes added, And yes, I've got Indians in my family. Lots of them. Billy had to think about it for a moment. Oh, yeah, lots of Native Americans up there. Or is that more like sideways from here? Melinda laughed. <laughs> sort of sideways and down. My parents really finagled with Indian affairs to get me a grant so I could come here. Hope it's worth it. How about you? I'm from Nolens. Melinda's eyes widened. I thought you were that Billy Fontenot. Oh, let's get your food. You've got to tell your story to our table. Melinda loaded him up with mashed potatoes, fried chicken, peas, and a tall glass of iced tea, and began to hurry him to his seat. Then she paused. Oh, wait, Melinda said in a low voice. I'm sorry. That was really rude. You don't have to talk about anything you don't want to. True. He didn't really like being from what all the TV talk shows called America's Most Possessed Family, and knowing most people were sizing him up for a straitjacket of his own someday. But when folks were at least considerate, it helped. No, don't worry about it, he said. Come on, I'm starved. They returned to their seats, and as Billy sat down, he gave a nod and said, Hey. The goth guy took a bite of chicken, and with a mouth stuffed full, muttered, Dude. The little blonde girl looked at him and smiled. Hi, I'm Janice Friedman. Billy thought Janice had a direct way of speaking, like someone who was very organized or worked in a bank. He couldn't decide which. Across from him sat a black kid who reminded him of his first cousin Tyrone. Tyrone was one of his best friends, but Tyrone's dad refused to evacuate when Hurricane Katrina roared through. He never saw Tyrone again. The black kid scrunched up his face. Hey, mon, why you peering at me? You never saw a black man before? The kid's voice was distinctly Jamaican. Billy snapped out of it. Sorry, man, didn't mean to stare. You look just like my first cousin. Then, noting some of the double-takes around the table, added with a grin, Yeah, I'm a freaking Oreo. I'm Cajun. The goth kid snickered. So then, in Creole, does Oreo mean white man that can actually dance? They all laughed, and Billy began to devour his lunch. 
Dude, Goth said. You're from that super-possessed family, right? Billy nodded. Yeah, Goth ventured further. So, like, everyone in your family has been coming under the darkness in a big way. Cool. Billy bit inside of his lip before he spoke. Yeah? Be the only kid in your high school to have the guys in white jackets constantly at your door and see how cool it is. He continued, not bothering to hide his bitterness. Last month, Mom made the national news. Did you see it? Her body levitated off the ground in a shopping mall, and she began screaming curses in seven different languages. I heard about that, Melinda said, wide-eyed. The press calls us possessed, but to them, it's just a joke. One guy even asked me... Billy stopped. He wasn't going to repeat what the reporter said about his mom and PMS. The jerk. The black kid leaned forward. Listen, by. Your family sounds like they've come under a powerful curse. The kind of thing only God can save you from. I'm Thaddeus Johnson. I'm from Kingston, and last year I lost a very dear friend to voodoo, and I'll be damned if I'm losing any more. That's what I'm doing here. Thaddeus looked around. What about the rest of you? The girl with the white blonde hair straightened herself and said, Well, I'm the youngest member in the history of Florida's mutual UFO network. We've documented well over a thousand cases of alien possession in Florida residents. So I'm here to see if there are any correlations between demonic activity and UFOs. Alien possession in Florida? Gothkid said. <laughs> that explains a lot. So, we got the Ragin' Cajun, Cool Runnings over there, E.T., and you might as well call me Gothica, or Cedric, whichever works. I'm here because I don't fear the Reaper. I'm from Chicago. And what about you? He said, turning to Melinda. We ought to call you Pocahontas, right? You'd better call me Melinda, she said with an indignant toss of her head. And yeah, my family is part Sioux, part Scot-Irish. I'm here because my grandfather always said I needed to know the spirit world from both sides of my heritage. I'm Christian. I'm here to learn. Well, Cedric said, keeping his voice low, I think we're sitting according to spiritual depth, or lack thereof. At that first table, I found out earlier everyone there is a preacher's kid, and the other table is handling average good old Bible students. And then there's us, the freaks, he smiled. I knew I liked this table. The sound of a small handbell being rung brought an end to the conversation. Billy watched as a middle-aged lady from the head table rose and stepped forward. Did you enjoy your meal, students? She inquired. There were murmurs of affirmation, and Cedric said in a matter-of-fact tone, It didn't fight back. The woman smiled. Always a cause for thanks. I am Ruth Wittersham, and this is the School of the Exorcists. Billy blinked. So this was Ruth Wittersham. He had read articles, read about the school, even works Mrs. Wittersham had written, but could never recall seeing a picture of her. From the way she wrote about the Bible and the spiritual battle, he expected someone seven feet tall. But he supposed someone with the face of a cookie-baking grandma was just as well. He liked cookies. Today we will primarily be settling in and gearing up for your first classes tomorrow. This is your senior year, and you will still be expected to finish your course of study. The difference is that here there will be a concentration on the practical application of biblical studies. A number of kids shot knowing glances around the room. 
Yes, yes, we're all excited about exploring the darker sides of spirituality, and no doubt the media will show up and begin calling us the American Hogwarts again. But I must remind you there is a huge difference between what we do here and the things you may or may not have read in the Harry Potter books. The room grew quiet. Billy could feel himself leaning forward. What happens here, Mrs. Wittersham explained, her voice low, is real. There are principalities and powers that would love to have any of you dead at any given time. So our first rule above all is ask God. Think before you act. It is a difficult ministry, and there is no shame in asking for help or deciding this is not the place for you. I'm quite serious in this. Now, on a lighter note, Mrs. Wittersham said, I would like to assign a chain of leadership. Altogether, we have 21 students. By your applications, we have placed you in fellowships according to interests and backgrounds. Our school was originally a very fashionable hotel back in the day, and each fellowship will be allowed their own wing. We will expect you to give yourselves a name, and, of course, keep your area tidy. Since this was a very busy hotel once upon a time, keep your eyes open. Our first order of business may very well be to finish cleaning this place out. And I don't mean dusting. But in the meantime, be careful. As I said, you will each have a leader whose responsibility it will be to oversee his or her wing, lead morning and evening prayers, and keep the floor stewards advised of any problems. And there will be one student assigned to tend the fellowship co-coordinators, a student pastor to the pastors, so to speak. Billy glanced over at the table full of PKs to one all-American-looking guy, complete with broad shoulders and blonde hair. Yeah. He was probably going to be the leader, Billy thought. At this point, Mrs. Wittersham introduced a handsome young couple, Mark and Marion Daniel, as the floor stewards, then the rest of the faculty that were also at the table. Now, we did ask God, said Mrs. Wittersham, and these are the people we think should stand as the first leaders of this school. From the first table, she said, stepping over to the preacher's kids, we would like Dennis Harper to be a fellowship coordinator. Dennis, do you accept this post? The All-American rose as if he were answering a call from Jesus himself. Yes, ma'am, I do. Very good, she said, and walked to Billy's table. Here I would like to ask Thaddeus Johnson to accept the post. Thaddeus rose and bowed. I am honored. Excellent! Thaddeus settled back into his chair as Cedric paid him a pat on the back, and Thaddeus whispered, Respect, Mon. Mrs. Wittersham went on to the third table. There are many bright and promising leaders among you, and yet one girl kept coming to mind. Sandra Follett, please stand. Billy saw a little dark-haired girl with huge eyes and glasses to match slowly rise as if she weren't used to having so much attention. Sandra, do you accept this position? Sandra seemed to catch her breath. Uh, uh, yes, of course. Suddenly, Billy felt his attention rivet on one of that group he had only glanced at earlier. The guy wiped his black-framed glasses and then picked up his cell phone. He held it as if filming the after-lunch speech. It was nothing frightening or alarming. He might have done the same thing if he had a cell phone, but still, Billy's eyes stayed zoomed in and his heart began to race. Something bad was going to happen. 
The guy's head flew back so hard and fast Billy thought it would snap off and he bellowed deep and huge. No! Billy was on his feet, running on pure instinct. He raced to the guy, shrieking, Name yourself! For a moment, the room became deathly silent. Billy panted. Sweat trickled down his forehead, and the eyes of everyone in the dining room were on the two of them. The guy stared up at him, eyes bright and mocking. He sat up and laughed. <laughs> oh, man, he said as he slapped his knee. I know I'm going to be showing the door now, but that was so worth it. Flinging his arms to either side, he cried out, You stupid fundies! God, how I hate you! <laughs> he yanked out a voice recorder and held up his cell phone. All I had to do was fill in a bogus application, write a bad check, shave extra close, and now here I am, with a story the tabloids are going to love. He gave Mrs. Wittersham a swarmy grin. Thanks for making my day. The man jabbed a thumb behind him at Billy before glaring over his shoulder. What's the matter, kid? Scared I got the devil in me? Billy stood his ground and said calmly, Name yourself. The man turned around to face him and chuckled. <laughs> Dave Hodges, at your service. <laughs> oh wait, you want me to say something like lust or confusion or how's this work? Hate. Yeah, that's a good emotionally charged word. I'll be hate. Mr. Hodges, commanded Mrs. Wittersham. You will hate. Yeah, grrr. Hodges lunged at Billy with gritted teeth. Yeah, I'll be hate, because I hate you, stupid mother hate. Hodges was beat red and roaring now, his fists balled as if he were about to throw a punch. Billy didn't look away. He took another breath and remembered his father calling out the last time they faced the demons. He had cried a single name that saved their lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, Come out! Dave Hodges slammed both hands over his ears and screamed, No! I hate you! Billy cried, Leave! Hatred! Leave now! The calm returned. Hodges let his arms drop to his sides, and the smile played across his face. How long are you going to do this, kid? Because <laughs> I'll mess with you all night. Night. The crimson returned to his face, and this time Mr. Hodges was flung to the floor by an unseen hand. His mouth began to froth and strangle. Disgusting, gurgling sounds issued from deep in his throat. Mrs. Wittersham stepped forward, leaned over the convulsing body, and in a low but deliberate voice commanded, In the name of my Lord Christ, come out of him now. Lord, give this man peace. Instantly, Hodges lay still. Mrs. Wittersham directed Mark to call an ambulance as Billy nodded and swiped a hand across his own brow. He noticed Hodges had hurled his cell phone and recorder halfway across the room. Billy collected both, and before slipping them back into Hodges' pocket, deleted all pictures and audio. Hodges lacked permission. The other students still looked very wide-eyed as he headed back to his chair. As I said, Mrs. Wittersham spoke like nothing had happened. Be careful. 
Finally, I would like to announce the student we have chosen to look after not only the other fellowship leaders in particular, but to stay alert to the rest of our student body. Mr. Billy Fontenot, do you accept this position? Billy felt panicked. He was used to having people laugh at him, not handing him responsibilities. He peered at her. Are you sure? Mrs. Wittersham smiled gently. I'm quite sure. Billy glanced around and shrugged. Um, all right. I'll do my best. That's all we can ask. Mrs. Wittersham clapped her hands. Now, this mealtime has all been very dramatic. Cedric gasped. It was cool. Indeed, but this incident means we, the staff, must deal with the authorities. So, I am shooing you out for now. Today, settle in, and by all means, get better acquainted. There will be a cold supper at six tonight. Tomorrow, breakfast is at seven, and classes begin promptly at eight. Let us pray, and then you will be dismissed. The group bowed their heads, and Mrs. Wittersham prayed. As they filed out in search of their room assignments, some of the students made comments to him like, Unbelievable, bro! And, How did you do that? Cedric caught up to him, and with a friendly whack on the back said, So, what do you think, my freaky brother? About what? Feels like home here, doesn't it? Billy hadn't thought about it, but now that he did, the thought made him smile. His life had always seemed so dark and terrible, but maybe it was one of those jobs that just needed doing. As he and Cedric thundered up the stairs, the thought played in his head over and over. Maybe it's going to be okay. God, make it be okay. that was our story. I hope you liked it. It's not quite the world we live in, but like our own, there are forces at work behind the scenes. And like our world, there is power in the name of Jesus to overcome all things. Before we go, remember that this podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network. For more great content and community, visit ChristianGeekCentral.com. Until next time, I'm Nathan James Norman, reminding you, tomorrow, breakfast is at 7, and classes begin promptly at 8. Mm-hmm.